And now a promo from me, because I made a book this year. When I'm not insisting on playing ACDC the way the hell too loud through the escape pod bridge speakers or practicing saying T O Grey hot, I present Pseudopod, a horror show. I've been doing it for <coughs> years, and this year I collected all the end caps I've written, expanded them, and made a book happen. <laughs> it's great. Um, I would recommend it to anybody. The process of book creation and my book, because I'm really proud of it. It's called The Pseudopod Tapes, Volume 1, and it collects every end cap essay I wrote this year, revised and expanded, so there's no awkward throw to a story and no call for donations, just me talking about everything from the shared fictional geography of Gotham City to why science fiction horror computer games are actually my catnip. I love this thing, and I know that sounds egotistical, and I'm kind of sorry for that, but I do. It's a year of my life, and it was a very big year, so if you're interested, put the pseudopod tapes through Amazon and make with the clicky, because I have 51 stories for you, and they're all true. Or are they? Escape Pod 379 January 17th 2013 Concussion by David Glenn Larson Welcome to Escape Pod, the weekly science fiction podcast that has crossed oceans of time to get here, and as a result, could bloody murder a cup of tea. Our story this week is from David Glenn Larson, a writer, screenwriter, and poet whose work has been in my neck of the woods, with Magnitude 7 appearing in Pseudopods episode 303, as well as Flash Fiction Online, the excellent daily science fiction, Idiomancer, Beyond Centauri, and the magnificently named Sci-Fi Coup, amongst others. So get your head in the game. Both games, because it's story time. Concussion by David Glenn Larson He scrambled from the fire that was snaking through the corridor when another explosion jolted the ship, and just like that, he was dead again. A moment later, he was someone else, gazing down with another's eyes at the mangled green body he'd left behind. Never before had Tyler experienced such terror. Sure, he'd been afraid. Afraid his knee would give out again, sign lighting him for the big game. Afraid he'd let down his teammates and make a fool of himself. But he'd never been terrified of being incinerated in an alien system countless light years from the home world he was forced to flee. Not until now. Staring up at the night sky, the stars were dim under the glare of the stadium lights. Which star was theirs? He caught himself and shook his aching head. It was only a dream, after all. The frog people weren't real. The doctor shined a penlight into each pupil. Any headache? Nausea? Or dizziness? What do you think? I was just hit by a freight train. Good old number 32, the biggest, meanest linebacker in the NFL. You may have a concussion. Coach Landis spit tobacco juice in the grass only inches from Tyler's head. We're down 22-27 in the fourth quarter with under a minute to go. Montoya is out. Casper's out, and now you're saying I'm out my third string too? Ah, uh-uh, Doc, I need Harden in the game. If he takes another hit... 
A few aches and pains go with the territory, said the coach. Forget aches and pains. I'm talking stroke or death. Those go with the territory? Ordinarily, no. But this is the Super Bowl, and I'm out of quarterbacks. I, I can play, coach. Tyler rolled onto his knees and wobbled to his feet with a groan. Lights flashed and popped behind his eyes. Some internal wiring knocked loose, but he didn't let on. I'm fine. Tyler teetered backward, but the coach steadied him, pretending to pat him on the back. a boy. See, Doc, it was just a tap. All right, but I need to check his cognitive function after every play. Whatever you say, said the coach. I'm going to ask you to remember a list of five words. If you can't repeat them back to me, you're a no-go. Apple, wrench, sombrero, parrot, porcupine, Tyler said with confidence. But I didn't give you the words yet. Sure you did. Last season against the Colts. It was the only time I played. Number 24 clocked me from behind on our 15. Well, I'm glad to see your long-term memory isn't impaired, but it's your short-term memory that concerns me. Fine, but make it quick. I have a quid out to win. Beg your pardon? I said make it quick. I have a game to win. The clock was frozen with 54 seconds to go. A lifetime on the field. This is it, fellas. Whole country's watching us. Hell, the whole world. Presidents, kings, grandmothers, your own mothers and kids, and God. Every one of them watching to see if we have what it takes to dig deep and pull out a victory. Let's not disappoint them. They broke with a clap and towed the line of scrimmage, growling, snorting like racehorses, waiting to spring from the gate. But the other side showed blitz. Even if there had been time for the coach to call a new play, they'd been having trouble with the headsets. The broadcast booth had complained about it all night. Something about atmospheric distortion. That left Tyler with only one option. He had to call an audible. But running through the plays in his head was like slogging through quicksand. He still heard the screams, the frog people's cries for help. Jagged, lightning stabbed into his brain and he clamped his eyes shut, trying to push them all away. He needed a play and... and then he had it. Omaha 22. He bellowed out the call. Omaha, na, oa, ta, wa, hut. The confused center snapped the ball by instinct, restarting the clock, and the two sides clashed. Tyler stepped back and looked for Rollins in the end zone, but he wasn't there. Then the freight train hit again. Old number 32, sacking him to the ground for the second time. The engine room was engulfed in flames as he dashed inside, this time wearing the black and silver uniform of the officer's corps. Tyler wasn't sure how he knew it was the engine room, but he did. He knew all sorts of things, like his mate's name, Oleana, and his position, third in command of the Star Traveler. The flames were spreading through the ship, but the heat that had cinched his sleeves in the corridor was nothing compared to the molten air radiating through the transparent shields in the next chamber, the compartment that housed the main reactor. The core was in meltdown. The chief engineer and his crew were battling to contain a ferocious blaze, but even with level 4 protective gear, they'd be dead in minutes. Yet with each minute, they bought the captain the precious time he needed to save the 100,000 refugee souls massed aboard. They're gonna die! We have to do something! Tyler sat up, his head spinning. He'd been dreaming again. You remember the words? asked the doctor. Lamp, cherry, phone, bell, Atuinok. Jesus Christ! The coach tore off his hat and ran his fingers through graying hair. We're sunk. One more time, said the doctor. Lamp, cherry, ariaka, nunyak, atoyna. Everyone was peering down at him like he'd lost his mind. Why are you all looking at me that way? 
With a concussion, brain cells can depolarize and fire their neurotransmitters all at once in a cascade of damage. Aphasia, the inability to use language coherently, isn't common with concussion, but it's not unheard of either. Tyler's headache was getting worse. When he squeezed his eyes shut, he was on the ship again, flames all around. Well, he can still throw a ball, can't he? It's so hot in here, Tyler said, tugging his collar. Tara, where are you? Tara! I'm not sure he even knows where he is, said the doctor. He opened his eyes. Of course he knew where he was. He was in Miami, at the Super Bowl, and they were going to pull him if he didn't get his ass off the field. Gotcha. I'm fine. Sure had you guys going, though. Now let's get out there and put this thing to bed. Before the doctor could mount a protest, Coach Landis handed Tyler his helmet. Like he said, Doc, he's fine. But you sorry sons of bitches, he turned to the offensive line. You better do your job this time. Tyler rubbed the back of his neck at the line of scrimmage. The voices were getting louder. Were they still up there? He closed his eyes and was back on the Star Traveler, huddled in a tent city, one of dozens set up in the ship's cargo holds. His name was Nawa, and when he glanced around, saw the green faces surrounding him were as frightened as he was. But it wasn't death he feared. What frightened him was that he and his life mate Anju might never see their son Una again. The captain had called for volunteers to combat the fires, and Una was the first to stand. He'd always been a brave boy. Don't let him be the first to die, Tyler muttered. Say what? The voice sounded like Rollins, and when Tyler opened his eyes, his teammates were watching him with concern. Nothing, he said. Let's do this. He took his position behind the center and tried to shut out the world. Three, fifteen, three, fifteen. There was a loud explosion in the corner of the cargo hold, and a great howl of wind as the air emptied into space. Men ran with metal bracing toward the buckled hull, but they were too late. Tyler and Nawa made the forbidden sign of the old ones, dabbing second finger to forehead and making the circle. The priest's missiles may have claimed his body, but his spirit would live free. We've lost pressurization in cargo hold four, Captain. How many lost? The frogman hadn't opened his wide, flat mouth to speak, Tyler realized. They'd all been speaking with their minds. A thousand at last count, replied the first officer, minus the volunteers who are still fighting the fires. A thousand dead, and how many more to come? But none of it was real. It couldn't have been. It was the concussion, that's all. Propulsion and maneuvering aren't responding, Captain. Life support is failing. Has our signal reached them? Do they understand? For Christ's sake, screamed the center. Get your head out of your ass. Hut, Tyler yelled, and the center snapped the ball into his waiting hands. He looked downfield and saw Rollins weaving through traffic. Come on, damn it, get clear. To the right, old number 32 broke tackle and steamed towards him. But this time Tyler sidestepped and launched the ball downfield. Though it seemed to hover in the air for hours, it was only a second or two before the missile dropped toward the sideline, only yards from the promised land but he'd overthrown it. It was sailing out of bounds. No. Rollins reached out and caught it with one hand, then floated along the sideline like a tightrope walker. The running back leapt for the goal line. Football stretched out in front of him, but safety Derek Jones slammed into him like a charging bull, knocking the running back out of bounds with only inches to go, stopping the clock. Once the ball was snapped, he'd only have two seconds to get it off. Increase the signal. Yes, Captain. Shards of electricity stabbed into Tyler's brain. What do you want from me? He shouted, gripping his head. Awanate! Awanate! 
We're getting feedback, sir. Very faint. The voice was piercing, and this time he had no doubt that it was real. He lifted his gaze to the night sky and stared up at the pinholes of light. Somewhere up there, people were dying. More power. Captain, we're already overloading the array. We're running out of time. Tyler couldn't even tell who was speaking anymore. Someone on the field or in his head? They must be made to understand. This time the pain drove him to his knees. Can you hear us? Asked the captain. Please respond. Tyler couldn't unclench his jaw to speak. Stop, he pleaded in his mind. It's too much. You must understand. You must act. I can't. AOR, I need to go and talk. There was a long silence, and when the captain spoke again, his inner voice was clear and commanding. Evacuate, he ordered. Evacuate. It sounded like the captain was going to evacuate the ship. Maybe he was asking Tyler to mount a rescue mission, but that was impossible, wasn't it? Time. His mouth had blurted out the word before his brain had a chance to catch up, and he was already jogging off the field when the referee blew his whistle to signal time out. They're gone, Una. There's nothing more you can do. No! Tyler screamed, then remembered the television cameras following his every move. They're not dead! Una's four-fingered hands were clawing at the door of Cargo Hold 4, but it wouldn't budge. We must think of the others in danger. Una pleaded with the stars to spare his parents, but he knew it was already too late. Their voices, never absent from his mind, were silent now. His mother and father... Everyone from his village were dead, suffocated and frozen in the vacuum of space, while others aboard burned. There was no sense in it. Why had they ever left their world? He still didn't understand. His people didn't start the war. They were victims. Always victims. Even here at the edge of the universe. He cursed the diadem priests. Wished they would burn like the millions they'd burned on the pyres. Because of them, he was alone near a world that could never be his own. Son, why on earth did you burn our last time out? They're dying up there, Coach. People. Alien people. There was a missile strike in the Goma system. They barely got clear, jumped here, and now they need our help. Coach Landis cleared his throat and led Tyler away from prying ears. Now you listen to me, son. I don't know what you're playing at, but I've already announced my retirement, so this is my last shot at a championship. Now do you think I'm going out as a three-time Super Bowl loser? No, sir. So what you're going to do is get your head screwed on straight, march back onto the field, and win this goddamn game or so help me you'll be lucky to find a job coaching girls junior varsity in Fargo. You got this, said the center, smacking Tyler's helmet. Bring it home. Full power to the forward shields. Hut. Tyler took the ball from between the center's legs, and the two teams collided, plastic against plastic, muscle against muscle. Tyler threw himself over the hill of fallen bodies. The pigskin cradled to his chest and held onto it until he heard the whistle blow. He lifted his head and watched as the back judge signaled touchdown. The hurricane roar of the crowd was drowned out by the myriad voices ringing in his ears, all of them crying out at once. He doesn't understand yet. But Captain, we don't know what the signal might do to his species. It's too late for that. They must understand. There was no pain this time. His mind simply ruptured. And when his ebullient teammates lifted him onto their shoulders, chanting his name, he was already inside the captain's head. See with my eyes, said the captain. 
and Tyler watched the holographic view screen as the Star Traveler pierced the atmosphere of a beautiful blue planet. Caught in its gravity with no propulsion or steering, he recognized the landmass directly ahead, North America. Then the image zoomed into the city of Miami and further in to reveal lights and people, so many people crowded into that stadium. Evacuate, said the captain. You must evacuate. The message hadn't been a plea for help. It had been a warning. With his awareness back in the world, he shouted for his teammates' attention, but the hoarse cry was slurred and meaningless. He tried to signal someone, anyone, but the right side of his body wouldn't listen to his desperate pleas. And then he heard the boom in the sky and looked up as a shadow in the darkness devoured the stars over the stadium. Tyler made the sign of the old ones again, dabbing the second finger of his left hand to his forehead and making the circle. The priest had killed him too, but Una, at least, would be safe. When I was about 20, I managed to switch myself off. I was at university and was home for the weekend visiting my parents. I'd been sitting down for a while, stood, stretched, cricked my neck to one side and then had a very clear image of me falling sideways from the knees and slamming into the chair. I was not present, I was not in myself and didn't for a moment think the image was real. Then I heard my dad apologise to whoever was on the phone and explain he had to go because I'd just passed out. It was around then that it occurred to me that it might actually have happened. You see, what I'd done was inadvertently cut off the blood supply to my brain for a second, my stretching and cracking, effectively turning off the tap. The side effects, because I was back on my feet in about 15 seconds, were a mild sense of unreality and a really monstrous headache. Many years later, running the worst fever I've ever had, I perhaps unwisely opted to go to work. That time I didn't switch my brain off, but I was playing with the tuning dial, believe me. At the time, I worked about two miles away and walked there and back. I distinctly remember two things. Firstly, seeing a pair of women who I knew I worked with and I knew lived on the other side of town, somehow on the same bridge I was on. And secondly, watching a pigeon land near my feet and suddenly seemed to be attached to a piece of ground that I was still looking at 20 minutes and a mile later. The long and the short of it is this. The brain is wacky. You hit it, cut off the blood to it, or just cause enough vibrations near it, and it will do strange things. That's even before you get to the adrenaline that comes from any form of high-stress situation or physical competition. When I studied judo, it took six weeks to remember to breathe at all when I fought. You stepped onto the mat, bowed, and your entire body just clenched for a couple of minutes as you and an equally terrified, equally stiff-armed other white belt held onto one another and tugged and yanked until one of you threw the other and you either breathed out or had it knocked out of you. Eventually, the simple, pure terror of walking up to someone to fight them became sufficiently familiar that my body chilled the hell out. Those first six weeks were rough. It all comes down to signal versus noise, and what happens when your perception of both changes. Focus on noise, and you get lost deciphering it. Focus on signal, you're blind to the world around you. Focus on both, 
nothing happens. It's not your fault. It's not even evolution's fault. It's just the way things happen. That, for me, is the true strength of the story. The fact that the Super Bowl and the crash aren't connected by anything other than sheer, blind circumstance. Sometimes you ride the wave in. Sometimes the wave dumps you on your head and rides you in. There's no great capricious plan, no grand design, just things happening, sometimes for the wrong reasons, always all at once. Ride them well, everybody. Remember, pop from your knees. I'll see you on the beach. Where, after washing off the sand of history and metaphor, you can enjoy a nice frosty glass of Donate to Us, please. We rely on you to pay our authors and cover our server costs. So if you liked this story, please go to escapepod.org, hit the donate button, and help us remember it for you wholesale. I mean, what else did you think the servers were for? Greetings and salutations, Escape Pod fans. Assistant Editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 374, Oubliette, by J. Kelly Anderson. This was the tale of an alien being's godlike power and human-like levels of patience that wanted only to be left alone and not, for example, shot at with railguns. Response was highly positive, with only one negative comment that I found, and which managed to include a dig at yours truly, even. Not that I'm bitter. Anyway, Ed had something to say about the protagonist. Ugh, touché, space monster. Touché. A grudging acknowledgement from one space monster to another. What's with the attempted destruction of alien life forms in preparation for establishing a settlement? What happened to the Prime Directive? Other than the chorus of approval and the general dismay and best wishes for Murr and her departure, the only other discussion really was about the title itself, which I confess never occurred to me as I shuffled the story up the editorial tiers. This is what happens, I suppose, when your slush goes through a guy who reads the online etymology dictionary the way some folks read TV tropes. J.W.B. Jerk wanted to know what connection the word oubliette had to the story. Chemistry Guy correctly pointed out that an oubliette is a dungeon of the throwaway-the-key variety, and at the end the protagonist is, in a sense, locked away from the rest of his team and being the only one who remembers the true events. And lastly, Devoted135 stepped in to remind us that oubliette is just the noun form of oublier, a French verb meaning to forget. And if that doesn't sum up most of the action in the story, I don't know what would. That's all we have for this week. Join us next week when we, um... When we, uh... We do something. I'm pretty sure. Hold on. Let me check my notes. Next week. Next week. What was I looking for? Wait, where am I? Why am I here? Escape Pod will return next week with Punk Voyager by Shane and Garrity. But not with me, although I will totally be back the week after that. In the meantime, Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. Our quote from this week is from Lee Steinberg. The Super Bowl is like a movie, and the quarterback is the leading man. Have fun, everybody.